0: episode 150. That's a lot of episodes.
1: It also means it's a lightning round episode. That means we had to pick a bunch of topics this time, James. But I think we did it all right. Usually it takes us 45 minutes to pick
0: a bunch of topics. Today we did it in 30. I'm very proud of us. And we had a lot of great questions. We did it in 30, including some technical difficulties. So really 10 minutes, to be honest.
1: My bad. Yeah, I'm traveling through the South right now. Um just doing a road trip and headed to New Orleans. But right now I'm somewhere on the Mississippi River. I don't even know. It's a cool town, for (laughs) real.
0: lovely. Yeah, because usually I'm on the road, but it's awesome when you're on the road. So I hope they have some fun. And yeah, with this one, honestly, I put out some tweets asking people for lightning topics and questions. And honestly, our listeners came through. And usually we get one or two, but we got like 10. So we usually do six topics, five minutes each. But we picked out eight topics. We probably won't do five <laughs> minutes each on all of them, but we will limit them to five minutes each. But some of them are like a one minute you know, thing. James, you're you're removing
1: my structure. However, will I
0: know when to shut up
1: about a topic?
0: <laughs> I will. I'll tell you in ZenCast, or I'll say stop talking.
1: Okay, sounds good. This is going to be a great episode. I can tell already. Um, so. so are we just going to dive into it? Do we have any news for anyone? Or let's just dive in.
0: Let's go for it. Yeah, our first one uh, came from one of our Patreon supporters and from Twitter, David Sharp. Uh, he asks, how about getting that first professional coding job without a CS or What's Mm. CS? CS degree? Computer science degree? Computer science. Yeah. I was actually a little nervous about this question
1: (laughs) because there's so many um, ways to go about it. But the truth is I just don't have personal experience. Um, I have a degree, so usually I was able to at least get interviews. But I have been on the hiring side. And my first reaction to this one, uh, James, was, make friends with people with jobs already and um, have them help you get in. Unfortunately, I've seen that that's usually just the best route. If you're doing this, we can talk more about things individuals can do. But I think honestly, the truth of the world is that's how things work. Find a friend.
0: I don't necessarily know if how much it helped me, I guess. I I think back in the day, at least, you know, when I started two thousand. Five two 2007 I guess I got my first job or so I'm not sure if that's what really got me into the door I was in school at the time and we were forced to do internships and this was kind of a good segue I didn't have my degree yet I was a student uh, but I was grinding hard to become a game developer and I was working at GameStop down in Arizona and out of uh, happenstance one of the directors at a small independent game studio, walked in. I told him mm-hmm. that, hey, you know, I'm studying to be a game developer. I go to this school or whatever. And he goes, hey, we're looking for interns. And I jumped on it. And that was my entry into the software development world, professional software development world. Now, before that, though, I had been grinding a lot. I had made websites, I'd been building desktop applications and showcase pieces. We didn't have the world of open source at the time, the modern day open source of GitHub. But that led me to have something onto my resume immediately after I graduated. But even before I graduated, I mean, I don't know if getting those jobs you know, or doing, doing the degree was as impactful as the career experience. So having well, that career experience of building those things... Um, even though I did it all for free, basically was, was beneficial, I guess.
1: Uh, I was going to say that there are multiple stages to a hiring process and some things, uh, the engineers and the team are in control of other things. They're just not, for example, I was hiring, uh, once upon a time and, um, We had an HR department and the HR department did the very first screening of people. And so it was basically HR department gave me a list of people that I could then phone interview and talk to. Me personally, I don't care so much about a degree because like you, I worked as a programmer in high school. I started companies with a friend in high school. This is all long before I got a degree and I was qualified to do many jobs at that point. So Mm -hmm. as I'm interviewing someone, I don't care about the degree. I just want to see um, some kind of experience and capability and all that. But the truth is, in the really real world, there's HR departments with idiotic base requirements. Uh, I had a friend that couldn't even get an interview at Microsoft because he had only a B overall GPA. Uh, He had a degree, but it wasn't a good enough one. You know, it's terrible. I hate HR.
0: Yeah. And every company is going to be different. I think that's what you're sort of pointing out. My buddy, Jesse, that I worked for, he was in school and he ended up um, not finishing because he got a great job opportunity to go work. At this printer software company, which then got acquired. Then I worked with him. Now he went to go work at Amazon. Now he's at Twitch and managing tons of people. So those are like that that's you know, I don't know if that's complete luck. There's definitely a lot of luck involved there. And I think I had a lot of luck involved too. But in the world of open source, getting to those projects, one thing that you can do is like if you're very open and building projects is like sharing those projects. I think you're right on the connections is. There's people out there, send them their stuff. I love when people send me their open source projects, stuff that they're working on. If it's relevant, reach out, send those DMs, send an email to people. Like I know Hanselman, he retweets and I've retweet people that are like, hey, I'm looking for a job, blah, blah, blah. And they we yeah. they send a, a resume. Like, you know, we we look at it first and then retweet that. So that's definitely worth, you know, doing and 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 trying to land your first job. I like what you said there because I didn't want to give the advice
1: like just go use all your time and contribute to open source software and hope that someone will come along and recognize your grand work and all that. Truth is, that's not going to happen. But if you get a PR into a pretty prominent repo, then you just email those people, DM those people, be like, hey, yo, looking for a job, help me out here. So I I think that that's um, a great way, honestly, to introduce someone, get a successful PR in, you don't have to devote your whole life to this project, you know, just do something significant, do it good. And then, Ask for a job. Simple as that. Simple, simple. It sounds so easy. Never mind. On to the next. Okay. I got I got this, James. Ready? So we did an episode on dependency injection. And we got <clears throat> the greatest reply about it. And I believe the opening sentence was: We all know that dependency injection is hype. <laughs> that is so correct. This just yes, this just felt like a great way to reflect upon what we said in a previous episode. So James. Begin reflection.
0: Ah, well, yes. You know, so Glenn, who wrote this email into us at mergeconflict.fm, he said, you know, the Xamarin forms dependency service.get, it's like very simple, like, you know, it's cross-platform, it's simple, it's clean, it's easy to understand, where if you go into the ASP.NET model, it takes over your entire app. And I've been going back and forth with it, you know, the, I, I love, there's, dependency services, dependency injection, constructor injection, there's all these different things that go into it. I guess I'm just not, as I'm not, I've never been super against it. I just always wanted something official that felt like a stamp of approval. And if it's built (laughs) into the platform of how I'm learning that platform, then it's very helpful. So for instance, with uh, ASP.net, it's literally how you build that type of application. So as you're learning it, it's just part of how the framework works. Uh, whereas everything else, you're sort of bootstrapping onto it. So even with all that, you know, hosting stuff, and I did an entire build presentation on it um, at at Build, one of our theater sessions of using all that with Xamarin apps. Do I think that's perfect for every application? Probably not. You know, you can pick and choose how complex or how or or how not complex or how simple you want this stuff to work. But it always comes down to is it adding value and saving you time at the end of the day is it going to create you maintainable code that you want to own and that you want to support and that you want to onboard new developers uh, onto that code base and how they will then learn it and i think that that is more important than is di hype is constructor injection is dependency services what is the right thing to do it's hey what is the right thing for you to do to have maintainable code that you want to support long-term going on many, many years from now? That's how I look at it.
1: Sounds like you're running for office.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I like. I was, I was
1: kind of thinking about what you were saying about the stamp of approval, and I was just kind of thinking in my head, like, what do I consider a stamp of approval? And the truth is, it's not officially stamped with you know the the gilded stamp with the swirlies and the nice stuff <laughs> until until it's a part of the language. You know, when they when they add DI support into the C sharp spec, as in we have syntax support for this thing that we're just cramming in right now. I think that's what I would find it. But I get you when you say your stamp of approval is Microsoft. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I, I don't really look toward that. I think the biggest thing with the DI is just how viral it is. So you could start with a little bit, then it grows out of the code into a bigger spot. All of a sudden, your whole framework, your whole mentality, your whole design is based around dependency injection. And so, like you said, it's just how... It's an engineering decision. How much is it helping me? How much is it weighing me down? And that often comes down to, is it a complicated DI library or is it a simple one? Is it Forms, or is it whatever... MEF, what does ASP.NET
0: use? <laughs> I guess it's MEF, right? No, it's not not MEF anymore. ASP.NET oh. has its own dependency injection. It's own, constru- okay. It's all new. So it, it does not do any assembly scanning or anything like that. It's this host builder model. It's very nice. Right, right. I forgot, yeah. So it's completely independent.
1: Okay, yeah. And then, so there's our spectrum. <laughs> Xamarin forms to ASP.NET to Meth. you know. P- pick your spot on that spectrum. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, Yep. Yeah. Like you said, pick your spot. That's all it is, whatever you like. And, you know, don't be mad at people if they use it, if they don't use it, you know, you can make fun of it like I do and jest. but at the end of the day, if someone's using that stuff in the, in their code, I mean, it's fine. It's your code. I don't, I don't care. Right. That's fine. <laughs> um, anything else? Uh, No, I I just like like, I don't care. I don't care. It sounded a little passive aggressive. (laughs) I (laughs) I mean, because someone's going to call me out, and then they're going to say, "James, you obviously care," and I'm like, "Yeah, you know, maybe I'm just over it. I, my days of caring have 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 gone." So (laughs) it just made me laugh. (laughs) <laughs> on to the next. Well, I, this isn't really an, a question from Andrew, but I, we can give our impressions. He said Xamarin Test Cloud, which what he really means is just UI testing because Xamarin Test Cloud is not a product anymore. It's App Center Test. Uh, that's the evolution there. But um, I guess we've talked about UI testing. I don't know what all Andrew wants us to talk about on UI testing, but what are your thoughts on UI testing, Frank? James, I feel like my thoughts are where they were about five years ago, where
1: I'm like, gosh, I wish I did UI testing. <laughs> Gosh, wouldn't that be great if I if I could run a suite and know if my apps were working? Uh, I'm still far behind, James. I feel bad. I have a few projects that had like these Calabash scripts in them, and then I remembered that I have no idea how to use Calabash anymore. And then I had a few UI libraries, but they had bad dependencies to some other code, so I deleted those. In other words, I'm a complete mess, And but I'm going to stand by it. I wish I had these tests. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if I need different authoring tools. I don't know if I need different playback systems. But there is some barrier remaining personally for me that's preventing me from writing these tests. And I honestly don't know what that barrier is. What is it, James? Tell me.
0: Time. It's time. Is that it? Is that all it is? (laughs) It's just resources
1: classic. Yeah, that's all.
0: Well, it's two layers because you have to write your unit tests and then you have to Add on to your UI tests. And this isn't specific to mobile. This is all UI testing ever. When I worked at Canon, we had an army of individuals that were tasked with doing UI automation and we spent so much money and got literally no value out of it from what I could possibly James tell. James, yes. Also known as
1: Windows Windows uh vista <laughs> we did the same thing oh our our test teams were huge and vast and we had sophisticated tests with sophisticated databases and they were doing sophisticated stuff it was great and in the end i was like gosh i think we should have just manually tested this thing
0: <laughs> yeah it's you, you it's 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 impossible to do ui automation for every single possible scenario and every single part of your UI if it's evolving and changing, because as soon as it changes, you have to update that test. It has to be a part of the process as a developer. And I think that was always the problem is we would pass the app onto the test team and then we would go and change something and then like, here's the new thing and they have to change everything instead of it being built into the process. But I do like UI tests. I'm in the same boat as you. I wish that I had more UI tests and just to solve and check common scenarios so maybe i have five or ten that are running automagically whenever i do it i don't need an army of a hundred or five hundred ui tests but a smoke test would be nice because it is problematic as ui shift and change and adjust non-stop you have to update those tests you have to do your due diligence luckily i will say we are in a way better place than we were five six three two one years ago <laughs> For automation, because now with at least Xamarin Forms, if you're doing it there, even iOS and Android, it's by itself, they're just very simple properties that will propagate down. It's like built into the frameworks now, just like accessibility more than ever and UI testing automation more than ever. They've kind of been built in. So they're easier to add on if you want to add it on, just depends. But I think for a solo developer, I will say as I'm a solo developer and you're a solo developer, it is hard to try to create product and say, when is it good enough to ship? Is it when I have a hundred UI tests? Is it when I have two UI tests or can I just ship it right now? Cause I've played around with it and I've beta tested it with people. So it's kind of, you gotta pick and choose.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to whine, but I'm gonna whine. Um my apps are tricky to UI tests because a lot of them are touch-based and multi-touch-based. So do I have a test for one finger, two fingers, eight fingers? Um I can't just say when this button clicks, make sure this database is queried. You know, that's not how the test works. I have to say move to this coordinate, drag down, put another finger down, move to this coordinate, and you know, that's just not fun. So I'm thinking definitely need to get back to the um, good test recorder days. I think we were making good progress on test recorders at one point in time, and then it all just kind of fell behind. I think, um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to blame tools. That's it. Tools. It's the tools fault, not time and resources. It's the tools. I need, I need better test recorders.
0: Yeah, probably a better tester. Yeah. Better test recorders would be good because there is one for Android. They have one and UI, the, the, UI, the, the, the Xamarin UI test recorders. I don't even know where it's at. They were going to open source it at some point, but, um, yeah. And I don't even know if there is any for straight iOS. Like, I don't even know how people do that with XUI test. Yeah, it's tricky,
1: to be honest, because, um, for example, some of my apps open with the um, UI document browser, it takes over the main part of your app. So I'm barely running any code when the app first starts up. That's good because it starts up quickly, but it's bad because it's hard to add UI test to that unless the UI tests up. Operates at the OS level. And for that, I think I would have to use Xcode. And I kind of have a policy on not using Xcode. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> oh boy, hell, tough times in the test yeah. world. Yeah. Well, on to the next question. This is a long one. We split it into two from Michael Sh- Shion. That's what I'm going to go with. Um, <laughs> I, we try to figure out what exactly it seemed like two questions at least. So, the first one, we're calling it modern language teaching slash usage because he said, as Android and iOS introduce new features at a quick pace and diverge language slash features, I'm assuming the move to Swift, the move to Kotlin, right? So they're moving. And also mm-hmm. then those concepts of how those apps are structured are different. And also C-sharp and .NET are moving. Obviously we're moving in a .NET 5 world. We're moving into a C-sharp 8 world and we're adopting these things. How can developers stay on top of things or train up new people?
1: Yeah, I, I like this one because it gives us a chance to talk about C sharp eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love, you know me. I love new languages, but I uh, there are scary things about C sharp eight. Um, one being that they added a lot of syntax changes that I absolutely love and adore, and I know I'm going to use them. And I worry about how many other people are keeping up. Will they be able to read the code anymore, or will it start to look like gibberish just because the languages? Is it eight years old? No, it's much older than that. <laughs> but it's on version eight, and you know it changes over time. I think most people think it's of C sharp back at its you know version five days. It's version four days. What do you do, James? Um, my current policy is I want to use these new syntax features, and so I'm just going ahead. The industry moves. It's just how computer. It's just how software engineering the industry works. Times change, languages change. I think that we're lucky that we're able to still use C Sharp over such a long time. If you're unlucky in switching from Java to Kotlin or uh, what Objective-C to Swift, I guess that's a bit harder than just having to adapt to a few new C Sharp 8 features.
0: Yeah, to me this, funnily enough, comes to tooling because Visual Studio... um, the refactoring and IntelliSense support for the new features helps me learn them. So when I think about how do developers stay up on it, it's surprisingly turning on the latest. So Visual Studio 2019 um, says opt in and say, give me the latest. And if you have preview, I think you can even get C Sharp 8. I know Visual Studio for Mac is getting C Sharp 8 soon, um, at least preview support for it. Uh, We talked about that recently at Build but I have that on and that helped with the C-sharp seven, one, two, 3, 4 things that they did or how many versions they did, because I would turn that on and then I would say, give me recommendations. I always wanna use the latest features and Visual Studio would give me little pop-ups to say, you can do this, you can do this. So I started learning a lot about the pattern matching, about the Lambda expressions. And eventually you just start adapting to all those things as you code. So you, it's muscle memory. Your muscle memory is hard to break when you're in a specific pattern but once you start to see it in your own code and why and how then that really uh helps so i thought that was really good i i didn't really read a c-sharp seven book or anything like that but there are some good blog posts that guide you through so to me that was really good that the tooling can make a dramatic difference in learning these new concepts but also be known It's okay not to use the crazy new hotness, right? I mean, it's okay. It's okay to be yourself. Don't, you know. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I'm really curious. Uh, Personally, I want to know what the uptake is going to be for the null reference support. Mm. This is where you put question marks after your types to say that this can be null. And all of a sudden you get the million. Yeah. You're in. I'm in. Who else is going to be in? I'm really curious Um, because it seems a little bit split on Twitter and even worse for the people who are in, James, like you and me. There's a little bit of a holy war going on where it's, do you prefer question marks or exclamation points? Like I say, never, never use the exclamation Mm. point. Other people are like, always use the exclamation point. (laughs) So I think I'm really excited to see C Sharp 8 release just to see how the community adapts to it. Yeah, me um, too. Yeah. I I think you gotta keep up. It's tough, but it's worth it in the end. It's not that hard. Learning is fun. Look at it that way.
0: Yeah, learning is fun. While while people debate over whether or not they're gonna use all that crazy null, not null stuff. Let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor this week, Teleric. Yes, the good friends over at Teleric Progress have been working crazy hard on brand new features. To bring you awesome UI components for all of your applications, whether you're building a website, desktop application or mobile application, they have an amazing UI toolkit for you. In fact, they just launched the Telerik UI for Blazor. I'm a huge Blazor fan. I love it. Client side, C sharp web razor templating everywhere. I love it. So now you can get all the rich, beautiful web components for Blazor applications. Additionally, if you're building Xamarin applications, which I am and you are, uh, you can get all of their brand new and beautifully optimized essential controls. They have awesome built in Visual Studio templates, so you can get access to all of them right away. And of course, they support iOS, Android, and UWP and Xamarin Forms. You can get all sorts of good things like a PDF viewer control, pop up controls, doc layout, and all. So much more. It's built right into Visual Studio 2019. Just go get it. If you want to learn more, just head over to Telerik.com. That's it. Telerik.com. They have a products button. You'll see everything that they possibly support. So thanks to Telerik Progress for sponsoring this week's episode of The Pod. Thank you, Telerik. And speaking of Android, James, I'm excited for
1: this one. Um, I guess this is part two of the question. And not just keeping up with languages, but James, how do you keep up with Android? We talk about the support libraries all the time. We talk about, it's just like every year Android changes. How, James, how?
0: Yeah, so Android is in a transition. So uh, Michael was asking, it's so hard to understand where we're at in the new features, like Android, Android X, app bundles, all these things, Xamarin's evolving really quick. And here's what I mostly say, just ignore all of it, just ignore all of it it doesn't matter none of it matters yeah. frank it doesn't matter yeah. until it matters so stop <laughs> like stop you don't even need a timeline cuz it doesn't matter until it matters um and to be honest with you it is really important to kind of know the underlying base platform so i do follow google io and the android dev days that they do um very in depth and google does document android x jetpack support libraries google play services firebase all these things heavily but there is a lot to it and even in the world of dubdub, right dub dub is not just ios it's all of the other things in and around um in and around what apple has so i think that what's really important from a point of view of android is that you shouldn't really worry too too much about it until we blog about it or do something else about it um but let me go into a little bit of depth here okay? because what's important with Android X is that they're breaking all the support libraries into little tiny things. Uh, App bundles will automatically split up your app and do all these things. Android X is a big undertaking. The Xamarin team already has bindings up and ready and open source building. And that's gonna be a long process and we're gonna be working hard with all the library creators to update everyone just like Google did when they had to update and had to have tooling built in for it. It's going to be a pain at a little point, but at the same time, you know, it's going to be a slow migration. Even right now, Google will say, oh, 80% of the apps, uh, the top applications are using Jetpack and Android X. And maybe they're using one or two libraries or or maybe they're forced to, for instance. Um, But a lot of those packages are still preview. We have a little bit of time on it and it will really be when. Xamarin Forms Essentials, and our core packages upgrade. And we'll have a rollout package all for that that makes a lot of sense if done correctly. And we'll be onboarding, so it'll be a smooth transition. Um, and that's kind of like how I kind of see it done. James, I only understood about 50% of
1: the words you just used there. Uh, I feel like I'm such a dinosaur. Uh, my solution to this problem is program against the Android 14 API. I mean... It's got buttons and text boxes. What more do you need for an app? (laughs) But I appreciate everything that you said. Uh, I just got schooled.
0: (laughs) It it is a lot. It is a lot. And that's why if you're onboarding, it's not it's not like a Xamarin problem. It's not an Android problem. It's just things evolve over time and get more complex because the world of Android is now across all these form factors and foldables and devices are more powerful and devices have crazy notches and all these things and. You don't want to bloat your app because you need so much more than ever. And one funny thing I'll, I'll go off. I probably already used my five minutes, but when you think about a brand new framework, like in the beginning of iOS and Android, it was also easy. It was just very simple. Right? I mean, when Xamarin forms came out, it was very simplistic. It couldn't do everything, but it did this one thing, you know, these things really well, you know, some new frameworks that come out, they're all shiny and new. And then two, three years later. You, they've added all this stuff because people need the power. They need so much more. And that sort of becomes the flaw and benefit at the same time. Wow. Yeah. And wow, you got me on the foldable devices. So I really
1: do want to support those. So I guess I'm going to have to bump up from API 14. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the the truth is I just hit um, right click on solution, update all new J's. And then I say a little prayer. That's Frank's technique. <laughs>
0: yeah say a little before you all right frank somebody asked uh dave asked how did we meet each other how do we meet each other?" oh yeah I, I we've
1: talked about this a few times so we'll just give a quick answer here i went to a it was xamarin at the time was it james yeah it was xamarin and they had what is now a defunct program a drink up remember terrible that name. name terrible terrible name. name this is when we were associating beer and getting really drunk with having a good time meeting your programmer friends it just it never really worked out it was so a meetup.
0: a meetup with <laughs> alcohol that's what it was
1: yeah which is good because i think we were chit-chatting at the bar and i usually it takes me a drink or so to talk to a stranger so
0: <laughs> i met I, I met a stranger at a bar that is what happened
1: it is. It totally is. Now, I think someone told me that, hey, this is James, James, and we should, yeah, that you're not a total weirdo and you might have some ideas. Onage did. <laughs> Onage introduced us. Is that who it was? Okay. We we owe you Onage. Well, everyone owes you because uh, we've been doing this for how long now? Like five years, something? Five years. Not, not podcast, but the meetup and the podcast.
0: Yeah whatever. Yeah. To, Team we've efforts. Been friend, we've been friends for a long time. That, that That's a true statement. And yeah, it, it was uh, out there and we had known each other. I knew you because I was using your software of SQLite net and that is how I knew. And then we talked about preferences for a while. We became good friends. I, I had just moved to Seattle. I told this story because I was doing a pitch for you recently and, oh, uh, neat. and I told the story about how we met and how you helped sort of, break the seattle freeze and you're so warm and inviting and just like really nice honest person to talk to and and uh that's why we're still friends to this day so well that and the preferences
1: it, it, it was kindred spirits because we were like cross-platform's hard and i'm like yeah it is hard i i can't even do settings right and you're like i can't even do settings right <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's true. so we bonded over the pain of cross-platform settings i think which was really fun Fun times. So now that was a nice light topic. Now we're going to get into a little bit heavier topic. And this is what are we all going to do now that Xamarin U is gone? Um, do you want to give an update, James? Because to be honest, I don't always follow exactly what's going on in the
0: docs and certification world.
1: So what's yeah. up with the Xamarin U?
0: So, Xamarin U obviously was a Xamarin program that moved over to still be Xamarin U. You could become a certified developer. It was not a Microsoft cert at, any, at all, right? It wasn't an official Microsoft because micro, Microsoft has official cert programs for certain things. I've never gotten one ever. I did get through the Xamarin one, uh, but it moved over. And then Microsoft, instead of having all of these different like MVA courses and these blah, 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 they said, we're going to put everything together in one place and call it Microsoft learn. So when you go to microsoft.com or learn.microsoft.com or microsoft.com slash learn, one of those two, I think it's docs.microsoft.com slash learn. That will be completely free online training. And what they did is they took about 20 courses and they're going to continue to build these out that were on Xamarin University and move them into Microsoft to learn. So now you can go through all of the training, get all the badges and all the things. There's no certification or anything like that. And go through all the training courses for not only Xamarin, but .NET, Azure, all the things uh, for free. It's all for free, completely for free, which is really, really nice. And they're going to continue to build out that infrastructure. The difference is that there's no live training things anymore, but now you can just do it on your own leisure and on, on your own time. And I know a lot of the ZAMU instructors are, are doing Twitch streaming and, you know, still doing different courses and things like that for fun and whatnot. So that will sort of live on, but yeah, it's just there. It's free. Uh, I, everyone learns different, I guess. And to me, this is exciting. I think it's people are like, oh, it's sad. It's going away, but it's actually exciting to me because now more people than ever will have access to free training. That's really world-class. Um, um yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Because a lot of the other things are paid, like even Pluralsight is played or play paid or LinkedIn Learning, things like that. And those are good alternatives, but those are different types of material instead of this is really kind of training by doing. And, and I kind of like that. I'm glad you clarified that because
1: my only understanding of what happened was that, yeah, the materials from Xamarin U got transferred over to this Microsoft Learn. But I wasn't sure if it was a one-time transfer who was operating this and that. But yeah, you can't argue with free. That's pretty awesome. I haven't seen too many of these videos. Now I'm going to have to totally check them out and see what's going on. Yeah. But I did, I did get a question from a friend uh, recently, and I had an answer, but I'd like to say it and get your opinion. And they were asking: this is side topic. Are certifications in Microsoft products, and in this case, Office products, so like Word, Excel, Access, are certifications still relevant today? And my answer was maybe not as much as they used to be in the past, but whenever I was hiring people, I was always looking for anything to differentiate people from each other. Honestly, it's kind of that terrible where you, you want to see these things. And I think I would definitely give someone a few points for, um, having certification. What do you think about
0: all of that? This, I don't know. Uh, I am imagining that it it is a differentiator because it allows you to put something else to stand out. Um, I'm looking, like on the Learn website, there is a certi- for certification thing and there's a Microsoft cert for Azure Developer Associate. There's mm-hmm. one for Microsoft Office 365 something. Uh, yeah,
1: Microsoft... I- Microsoft usually has a bunch of certificates. I even got to um, help write the certificate exam for the Windows Phone. That was quite fun. Mm-hmm. Got to hang out for a week and write an exam. But um, I, to be honest, I just don't keep up with it that much anymore. That's why I was curious what you were thinking.
0: Are there, I mean, anything is good. I guess it depends where you're at. <laughs> if if you're if you, if you think it's going to help grow your career or help distinguish you, then yes. But I've I've never gotten one, so I don't I don't know. Yeah, I've well, never yeah, got the real one. I went through the the I went through the Xamarin University one, but I was already okay, working yeah. at Xamarin, so I don't know. If that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know if that helped me do any better at Xamarin, even though I worked at the company. So,
1: so what we're yeah. saying is the the knowledge is the important thing, and the certificate is probably sugar on the top. But neither of
0: us have been hiring much lately, so <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, I okay. mean, if someone came, I guess it comes down to like if someone came up to me and they're like. Uh, here's my cert, but I've never built anything ever or done anything, or I don't have a cert, but look at this beautiful application that I built all by myself and here's all the source code and we can go through it and I can do that, that, that might be more important to me, um, in general. But again, if you had two people and one person had a cert, then I don't know. I think the doing is what's important, but again, I'm not a hiring manager. So I guess that is, uh, yeah. I don't know.
1: Uh, we're a little out of our league, but yeah. Everything, everything's worth it. At least you'll, you'll really refine your knowledge if you get the certificate. So just consider it a personal test if they're not too expensive,
0: I guess. Yeah, I love, I love our listeners thoughts too. I know that one thing I was talking to the XAMU team and now the Microsoft learn team, and they were saying that, you know, all of those are like by demand, right? So I think if people really want the cert, you should let Microsoft know like, Hey, I want to cert for you know, for Excel or I want it for Xamarin and I want it mm-hmm. for UWP or whatever you want it for, let them know. And they have a whole board. And like you said, people do it. I didn't I didn't know how in depth the cert process was until someone explained it to me. Now I don't know if I can talk about that because I didn't ask them if that was public knowledge. So I won't talk right. about <laughs> it. But I do know it's a pretty advanced uh, type of thing. So um, hmm. anyways. fun. Um all right last one. This was from a while ago in our Discord, which anyone can join to, and I haven't been in there for a long time, but we did open it up, so there's like 200 people that have been in and out of it. So I should probably check it out. Um uh bo nine nine one three, which I'm not sure who what his name is, asked it's hard hard it, to pronounce. <laughs> uh, boy boy93, yeah. Uh, one three. Uh it was how do you work? You seem to get a lot done. So what he means by this was Top apps, scripts, automate stuff. Like, do you? how do you plan side projects? Do you keep to-do lists? Things like that. So I figured that'd be a good one to close on. Yeah, I, I love productivity stuff. I, I really like this question. I think it's very vague. <laughs> and
1: that's why I liked it. So I took it when I first read it of um, how do you physically get moving like in the morning, like working? So yes, I have task lists. We all have task lists. We have billions of task lists. So obviously you have those. But how do you actually like get into it? And I, yeah, (laughs) the fun part, huh? It's like coffee, more coffee, more coffee. Um, In my world, um, I, I have two kinds of modes. One is I'm working on a big feature. And I'm only partially done with it. And I'm laser focused on that feature. And that is my absolute most productive time ever, where I know what I'm doing and I'm just getting it done. And I love it because I turn into an absolute hermit. I turn off all notifications and I'm like, people, this is more important. My work is more important than you. And I I get a lot done. So I unfortunately work in bursts like that. The harder times in my life are where I have a giant task list and I'm working through a task list and I don't really want to be working on any of it. And in that case, I motivate myself by just saying do three tasks and you can go for a walk, do five tasks and you can order a pizza. Like I'm literally bribing myself to get through the task list. (laughs) Do you ever do that?
0: Yeah. uh, Well, I have, I use to do now, which is a Microsoft app which is helped me track my day a lot better. And I sort of have a goal of almost zero inbox. And what it does is at the end of the day, like the next day it clears your task list, but if there's like a button that says, see the stuff that you didn't finish. And then you can add it back to your day. So it's sort of like look at the stuff you didn't get done that you have to add to your list yet again. So instead of it just being an ongoing list that's there forever for like your day, um, cause you can make lists, but this is like your day. You can add stuff that's short lived. And, uh, my goal is to try to clear that off. I mean, I like the task-based oriented type of like, I get this reward. Uh, I don't know. This has changed so much for me over the years where I think I was like, you, I get out of bed. You know, make sure I, you know, have a breakfast, make the coffee, do the shower, get the clothes on, you know, kind of prep my day. I used to follow like a Hanselman quote where he said, like, never read email before noon. I tried that. That doesn't work very well. Uh. Um, (laughs) It's a great idea, but it's a good recommendation. Never read email before noon. Like why? doesn't matter. Um, And try to get stuff done early on. Um, I would say that I've failed in so many areas of trying to organize things to get things done. But one thing I'm really good at to a detriment is, uh, task switching. So it's a detriment because I do this in my personal life way too much, (laughs) but you can see when I'm Twitch streaming my muscle memory of being able to switch tasks from doing like a podcast to a note taking to a code to booking something like I am just constantly switching contexts nonstop and it's like terrible. Right. So I'm like constantly doing not necessarily five things at once, but I'm constantly saying as soon as I like, you know, finish something move next, 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 next. And sometimes I'll get something to 80% like good enough. Next thing go. Right. So the, the task list at least helps me stabilize that. But I do have a hard time just because I I can never really remember what all I'm supposed to be doing because I have, like, too many projects <laughs> going on at one time. So how do I organize my life? I have no freaking clue, Frank. It is a freaking love it. mad show over here. I, I love that you're finding the downsides of being
1: able to um, context switch like that because I cannot – I I joke that I can only do two things a day. Like I can work in the morning and then go out with friends at night, or you know, whatever. Only two events in the day. And that includes like working on an app versus working on email or working on open source. So I could work on two different projects a day, but not go out with friends. You know, it's a balancing act, but just two things. I can't context switch. Or if I do, I don't get anything done, essentially. I need to focus in on something. And i i I've gone a little hipster james I'm a little yeah. embarrassed to tell yeah to tell how I actually do things these days. I always found for some reason that I just do well with paper, and so in the past, when I needed to go into like a crunch mode like I really wanted to ship an app, I would make paper lists of things and cross them out and star them and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I realized that I just actually like that system. So I ended up buying um, a notebook and I just by hand, write out the lists of the features and bugs that I want to fix in an app. I, it's identical to GitHub. I don't know what it is. It's, it's the separation from the computer perhaps that makes me more comfortable with it. Mm. But the part that I really enjoy is, and this used to be a problem that I had is a problem everyone has is your list gets long. It's it's almost by definition, it, it grows unbounded and you'll never be able to catch up with it. You're always going to have more ideas than you have physical time for. Mm. And But what I've found is I enjoy still reading through that list. And so every morning that I want to work on something, I'll read through the long list and maybe there'll be some starred items, but every almost at least a few times a week, I'm reading through every item and deciding if I really want to work on it. And I have no problem deciding after a week or two, I'll just cross it off and say, I'm not going to do that at all. And I don't know. I don't know how that's different from using GitHub issues, but for me, somehow it just works for me personally.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I, and I, I want to kind of change to be more project oriented. And I tried using OneNote and that didn't work very well. <laughs> and then I tried to use to do, but it's almost not enough. And then, you know, to doing a Trello board, that seems like too much because I have too many things. So I wish I could focus in and be a little bit more productive, like you're I, kind you of know, accomplishing things.
1: You know what the deal is with paper? At first, it starts simple. I just put a number just so I know how many items are there and then a one sentence description. It's It's a GitHub issue title. I don't put a description. I don't put screenshots. I don't put a priority. I don't care about any of that stuff. All I want is a good title that captures the idea. But the nice thing is, you have a pen in your hand. You can circle things. You can underline things. You can accentuate things. If I want to prioritize, I can put a giant star next to it—an unavoidable, unmissable star. I like the flexibility of paper, which is making me think I should just be using an iPad with an Apple pencil for all of this now. Mm. <laughs> New app idea.
0: New app idea. I like that. Ah. Sketch notes. That's what Sketch it is. Notes. Sketch notes. <laughs> well, we did it. That's it. We're done. How do you feel about it? We did it. All done.
1: That was a lot of topics. I was a little nervous when you were like, yeah, let's just do eight. But that was fun. I think I think we said some half intelligent slash useful things. Hopefully. I I think so.
0: I think so. I think we crushed it. So confidence. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you all for listening. We always have fun with these lightning talks and we always definitely
0: look forward to them, even though I complain at the beginning. I always complain at the beginning. So thank you well thanks everyone for your awesome awesome questions frank thanks for doing this from the road i'm sure we'll record some more from the road so i super duper appreciate it but yeah thanks everyone for tuning in um of course you can you know leave us your feedback how are you being more productive or working throughout the day go to mergeconflict.fm there's links to our twitter account to our patreon feed to the email to our discord all the things right there. Of course, thanks to our sponsor this week, Telerik Progress, and all the great things. You go to Telerik.com to learn more. That's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. Until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Jeez.